Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now wherever you're listening. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today's story is a tragic continuing saga. And spoiler alert, it is a story that does not at this point have an ending. However, uh, we feel it is important for more people to be aware of this conspiracy, this cover-up, this semi-apocalyptic series of very unfortunate events. This story comes to us, folks, courtesy of one of your fellow listeners who left us a message. Oh, God, Matt, it was a, was it 2019? Oh, no, Ben, this actually came from 2020 this year, and we just want to say thank you, anonymous teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. We would be playing your voicemail right now, but you asked us not to. <sighs> well, we did, We did, of course, play it uh, for ourselves as a group. But as we always say, you know, we, we want to respect people's wishes for privacy. We didn't think you sounded scatterbrained at all, for no. the record. An anonymous teacher 
uh, you raised a very interesting point. You also did something that I, I love to hear, which is uh, you, you mentioned some of your own research in this matter, in the story of the Marshall Islands. Now, a lot of people have probably heard of the Bikini Atoll, especially if you're, in, if you're interested in the history of nuclear testing, nuclear revolution. But there's a larger, much larger story at play here. And to explore this story, we have to first explore the Marshall Islands themselves, which are going to be unfamiliar with a lot of people in the U.S., especially if you have you don't have any relatives in the military or you haven't yourself been a part of the military. So here are the facts. The Marshall Islands are remote. Oh, man. You thought driving, uh, driving for a long weekend at a cabin in the mountains was a hassle? Just look at all the stuff you have to do to get from where you are now, wherever you're listening to this, all the way out to the Marshall Islands. They are about halfway between Hawaii and Australia, like right near the equator. And although it's one sovereign country now, as of 1979, it's really two uh two kind of parallel chains a very of, of a lot of very small uh very small plots of land uh it is considered an a, what's called an associated state of the US that means that since its constitution and independence in 1979 it's a sovereign country but it has a formal very distinct unique relationship with the United States, and we're, we're going to find out exactly why in this episode. I don't know why I'm laughing. This is, this is a terrible thing. Uh, and even though it's, it's a pretty big area of ocean and island, population-wise, it's a very small place. That's right. Uh, an estimated 58,413 human souls live in this region, spread out across 29 coral atolls. Uh, and they're called that because they're, they're, they're almost like uh, mini islands. Like, I mean, when you look at them on an aerial view, they really just look like tiny little specks. Um, and these atolls are composed of 1,156 individual islands or islets. Uh, most live in the capital called Majuro. Um, and it's beautiful. You know, we're talking about crystal blue waters, you know, island paradise type uh, getaways. Um, it's incredibly remote, very low crime rate, and for many, many years, thousands of years, was the kind of place where you could kind of go and live a life off the grid, uh, like Robinson Crusoe style. Um, unfortunately, due to a series of unfortunate events, Lemony Snicket style, this is no longer the case. Right. Yeah, this this place has a long history of human occupation dating back to at least the second millennium BCE. And as the world and the countries in the world became increasingly connected in the modern era, more and more governments, either half a world away or you know, closer to that Pacific region, they became interested, intensely interested in controlling the territory we know as the Republic of the Marshall Islands today. As far back as 1914, Japan was interested. They were building bases, military bases on the islands. And then if you fast forward 
through the bloody events of World War II in the Pacific theater there, you'll see that after the United States defeated Japanese troops in the area, they turned two atolls of the Marshall Islands into military bases themselves. So it's kind of like there are two there are two things fighting, but neither of them have the concerns of the native people at, at the front of their mind. No, it's a, it's a strategic place to be. If if you've got naval forces, it's a strategic place to be, and it's also strategic if you need to be isolated for some reason away from larger populations. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, and consider just the the resupply value it offers too. So in 1947. The islands, uh, due to action by the UN, the islands become part of something called the Trust Territory of the Pacific Islands. They're still not a country. This was like the UN's idea officially, but this Trust Territory is administered, cough, cough, controlled, cough, cough, by the United States. This is Uncle Sam's new island paradise, if you will. These kind of territory grabs, we should know. Super common in any post-war era. Uh, go back to the first battles humans fought. Uh, they There was usually a territory grab afterwards, and it was often about territory, no matter what kind of ideology they put over it. Uh, this, is, this happens for a number of reasons. Uh, one, as you pointed out, Matt, to gain control of a strategic point, either for shipping purposes, economic purposes, you could say, or to plan for future wars, future areas uh, that we could wage, wage a good offense from or areas that we could easily defend. And then, of course, the big badger in the bag of every war ever claims to local resources. Every war you have seen fought or read about is, a, is about getting stuff from other people, no matter how it's phrased. This makes the Marshall Islands Trust Territory very strange in human history because the U.S. did have a plan for this region, but they didn't want to take anything. Instead, they wanted to leave something, something terrible behind. Here's where it gets crazy. Yeah, what they wanted to leave behind was indeed something terrible. Um, and it is a byproduct of nuclear testing. As described by Tony DeBroom, the former Minister of Foreign Affairs and Health, uh, in 1946, the U.S. Navy pulled into the lagoon of the Bikini Atoll and told the 167 people that were living there at the time that they were going to use this land as a testing site for nuclear weaponry. They were direct in how they approached these individuals, uh, it, but at the same time, it was some. It was like a, a, a shtick almost, like they like they'd done it before. Uh, the group phrased their conversation in such a way, almost like you would with something like eminent domain, where it's like, "Let us buy you out, let us you know, help you, help us, etc." Uh, they phrased it in terms of quote seeking permission. But they couched the mission as something that was the will of God himself uh, and would ultimately benefit all mankind. You can't argue with God and the benefit of all mankind, I, I would say. Um, it was a sacrifice they were asking these people to make for the future safety of the entire world. And so these a small number of people, admittedly, uh, 
took off. They evacuated. They did. And now remember here, we're talking about a series of islands that make up this thing that we call the Marshall Islands or the Republic of the Marshall Islands. And they went to one, one little atoll and kicked people off to do nuclear testing, which, as we all know, has a bit of an area of effect. Hmm. It's for the greater good, though. Matt. Yeah. yeah. Rumpf, rumpf, rumpf. The greater good. Well, as an end result of this uh, pretty disingenuous approach, uh, we learn that between 1946 all the way up to 1958, the United States ended up conducting no less than 67 documented nuclear tests in the Marshall Islands. It's just the nuclear test. The U.S. conducted about 23 of these tests at Bikini Atoll and then 44 near another atoll, Anahuatak. But the fallout, to your point about the area of, the, of effect, the fallout spread everywhere. It spread throughout the Marshall Islands. And when we say, when we say test, we're not talking about the nuclear equivalent of popping an M80 or a flashbang, the overall yield of these tests due to one curve-busting monstrous bomb, the overall yield of these nuclear tests has been estimated to be, to work out to an average of 1.7 Hiroshima-level detonations every day for 12 years. So this, this is serious. This is unending Hiroshima, if you look at the way this is, um, this can be averaged across the span of testing. And now, with the benefit of retrospect, we know much more about the test than people did during the time. Even the people living there, by the way, uh, who in some cases were not evacuated when the testing began. So we're going to pause for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll return. We're going to dive deep into the timeline and the specifics of these tests and why they matter today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, 
Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Okay, and we're back. We are still in the Republic of the Marshall Islands, at least in the present day. That's what it's known as. And we're going to talk about something called Operation Crossroads. And that's what we've been discussing here, the nuclear tests at the Bikini Atoll and the Inawak Atoll. So why would you do nuclear testing there? We know that the United States had like around that time in the forties had been testing nuclear weapons on American soil out there near Nevada in the testing grounds there and perhaps in a couple other places. But, you know, why would you go out to a remote island to do this testing? Well, one of the main reasons was because the military machine wanted to know what happens to a naval vessel when a nuclear explosion occurs. How far away does it have to be to have any kind of effect? What are the effects in general? And all these other questions that I'm sure some some general had in their mind or uh, some admiral who wanted to know what was going to happen in the future when a nuke went off near his vessel. And I would imagine at a base level, secrecy was uh, very important here too, right? Sure, yeah. You don't want the American public and to a degree the Marshallese public to be able to raise a hand and say, hey, this is crazy. We live in this area. Uh, the, the, there, there are a couple other advantages that were nearby military bases. Uh, this area is also, you know, this is pre-satellite surveillance nets. So this area is also more difficult for enemy forces to to observe, right? Everybody's going to sense or figure out a nuclear detonation of these this size. It's kind of a disturbance in the force vibe at this level of energy. Uh, but they also they also were doing a NIMBY thing. Everybody knows that abbreviation, not in my backyard. The Trinity test did take place in the heartland of America or the North American continent. But now that we have discovered the process to make a nuclear bomb, we want to build better ones. Uh, we have to realize that 
post-1945, people are, and post-World War II, really, uh, the U.S. public is going to start asking increasingly difficult questions about why we're blowing up stuff in our own country. So not just the generals, but the policy wonks and Congress wanted to get in front of this thing. And that's when they said, you know, we've got this place. We can go nuts here. This is this is the nuclear testing equivalent of Vegas, baby. Roll the dice, drop the bombs. And that's exactly what they did. Ben, I asked you off mic, um, you know, if, if uh, we talked about this place being like an island paradise, et cetera, with such a low population. Um, and my question was, were these are these transplants from other South Pacific nations or uh, are they would you consider these indigenous people? And I think the answer is a bit of both, but largely it is they are indigenous people, correct? Yeah, yeah. So their uh, Marshallese culture is part of the wider culture of Micronesia. And if you look at the history of Marshallese culture, I don't know, we're kind of this is a little off topic, but I'm going somewhere with this. We all have friends in New York, and if you're not from New York, or even if you are from the Big Apple, you're well aware that New York has this weird thing about when one can be called a local, right, and not just a tourist. What's the threshold? Is it like eight years or something? Oh, gosh. I I don't know the actual official number, but it's certainly more than a couple, yeah. Yeah, and so so there's – it seems like that's a microcosmic equivalent of the larger question, which is when do people become considered indigenous people, right? We know that with most continents and land masses in the world, there was a migration at some point in ancient history. Uh, So as far as the question of indigenous, you know, the people who live in the Marshall Islands have a very close relationship with the land and and the sea. It forms part of the community and part of the culture. And it looks like They were part of, I said the second millennium BC, uh, it looks like they were part of that larger wave of human migration 3,000 years ago uh, that spread across the Western Pacific Ocean. So I would say, I would say, you know, I'm not doing New York rules here, far be it. But I feel like if you've lived in an area for that long (laughs) – you can be considered native, right? Oh, totally. We're talking generations. And uh, I, I didn't know this going in, but, you know, when you say that we refer to them as the Marshallese people, they also have uh, the Marshallese language. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Uh, and so there, this is what we're establishing here is that the Marshall Islands were by no means some kind of empty room or some kind of barren, uninhabited place where these tests could occur without consequence. The first testing in the Marshall Islands occurred uh, during something called Operation Crossroads. And that's what, that's what uh, Matt was just talking about, folks. The idea that we need to investigate the effects of nuclear weapons on naval warships. Because, of course, the U.S. is not, well, it's many things, but it, it's not, Foolish! It's not naive enough to think that nuclear weapons will stay uh, a U.S. joint for a long time. Other people want the new toy, right? And when they get the new toy, they're going to use it to break the toys of their rivals, like battleships, carriers, etc. So we have to find out what happens before we see it in the field. So, well, and and some of the some of the stuff surrounding the er, the early Operation Crossroads, the actual testing that they did. 
there's some weird stuff. And it's hard to imagine this was a spectacle. You know, you think of nuclear testing, at least in the beginning there, it was a very secretive thing. We talked about that. You, you can't let anyone know that we're testing this weapon. You don't want your rivals to know. But as we got into really the thick of Operation Crossroads, the U.S. has already dropped a nuclear weapon, two nuclear weapons, on a, another country. And at this point, it's almost as if the U.S. is wants to publicly show the might again. But, you know, not hurt anybody just to show that might off. So uh, it's in the in this one of the testing, I believe it's called Able Shot or shot, uh, I think it's shot called Able Shot. Shot Able. Uh, they invited a ton of people out to watch this thing. They invited the press to come out. Hey, film this thing. Take pictures. Hey, check this out. Let's talk about this. Let's get it in the news so that, I, in my opinion, so our uh, allies and our enemies will notice. Similar to a military demonstration. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. it is basically a military demonstration. Yep. Uh, with a little bit with a with a lab coat on, <laughs> and so <laughs> and a big bang and a big big bang. Uh, so, shot able occurs on July first, nineteen forty six. This allowed various U.S. authorities to confirm the power of these weapons, and they determined some scary stuff. They said, "Wow, if there were any soldiers." On any ships up to a mile away from this explosion, they would be killed instantly. No takebacks, no worries about the lingering effects of radiation. It's just flipping off like a very violent light switch. And then they followed up with the shot Baker test uh, later that month on July 25th. These these tests were the first time the U.S. had tested nuclear weapons since the days of Trinity in 1945. And they were also the first nuclear detonations uh, since, you know, those days in August 1945 when Little Boy and Fat Man were dropped over Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And when Operations Crossroads ended, uh, it was on August 10th, 1946. And get this, they ended it because of very valid, pressing, terrifying concerns over radiation and the effects radiation can have on the human body. But they were worried about the human bodies of soldiers. Yeah. There weren't a lot of people on Uncle Sam's side saying, ah, yeah, what about the people who live here for longer than a tour of duty? They, uh, they also didn't worry about all the live animals that they loaded onto the ships when they detonated the nukes either to <laughs> right. see what would happen. Well, like Noah's Ark style? Like, why were they, oh, was this to to see the effects of the radiation on the animals? The blast and the radiation. I mean, how do you think they figured out that the soldiers would be killed instantly? Mm -hmm. Pigs, goats, and mice, I think, specifically. Okay, so the opposite of Noah's Ark style, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Load them onto a boat and kill them all at Mm -hmm. sea. Mm -hmm. Well, well, see what will happen. Yeah. That's the phrase they let's see what'll happen, which is, you know, it's a, it's a lot like um, if you went to if you went to court for murder because you shot someone point blank and you said, your honor, I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. I wanted to see what would happen for science, Jeez. dude. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. I know. I know. Uh, so this is this is a huge deal, though, and a lot of people. In the U.S. may be aware of the testing, but there's not much attention being paid to the people who are living in the Marshall Islands. And they kept going. 
they kept going because this was a perfect storm of opportunity, right? There's a post-World War lull. Uh, there's a huge boom in industry and technology in the U.S. because it's one of the few Western places that was able to preserve its uh, infrastructure, you know, large parts of Europe were destroyed, like not decades and decades of productivity were gone in an instant. Uh, so they also didn't have a lot of people who could stop them. That was key. We, we, we've heard that they uh, evacuated or that these people, I guess, willingly evacuated like 167 something people. And we're talking about a collection of islands, you know, in the thousand or not in the thousands, but over a thousand. So how far would this site have been from like whatever the metro center, I believe Majora, uh, how far would this have been geographically from there? So the distance from Bikini to Majora is 827 kilometers okay. as, as the crow flies that works out to 514 miles. Got it. And the this is still, by the way, that that might sound like it's a long way away, but we have to remember these are nuclear weapons and there are multiple yeah. tests. So there is an aggregate cumulative effect here. After Operations Crossroads ends due to those concerns about radiation for the soldiers only, uh, well, let's fast forward. There's still tests going on. 1950. Then President Truman decides that we're going to increase research into thermonuclear weapons because of our new frenemy, the USSR. And that mm. the conflict, the Cold War conflict was already kind of brewing toward the end of World War II, of course. Uh, so to do this, to increase this amount of research, we necessarily increase the amount of nuclear testing. And it turns out we have one place, one place where we love to test all these world-ending toys. It's still the Marshall Islands. Uh, so something called Operation Greenhouse begins in 1951. And then it goes to uh, Operation Ivy. In November of 1952, I don't know whether the band is named after that, folks, but I had the same question. Yep, I was thinking the same thing. I bet you it's the. I bet you they named it after the operation. I would guess, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, some of their songs still hold up. So, shot Mike. You know, we had we had those other things we mentioned earlier. Shot Abel, for instance. There's another one called Shot Mike. It is the world's first known successful test of a hydrogen bomb. And then uh, just a, a little bit later on November 16th, Uncle Sam conducted what it called the King Shot, which sounds like a really, a really heavy tourist drink you would get in a New Orleans bar or something. It also sounds like, like vaguely Hamiltonian. I don't know why. Uh, just because of the king and not mm. gonna, not gonna throw away my shot, you know, and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, man. And um, I don't mean to pull away from that stuff. I just want to remind everybody the difference between an atomic weapon, like the ones that were dropped on Japan, versus what we're just now introducing here—a hydrogen bomb. Uh, really, the best way to think about it is the scale of destruction and the radius at which lethal, like instant lethality occurs. So if you can imagine that when a nuclear weapon was dropped on Japan around, I think it was a radius of about a mile, uh, people were killed. Uh, 
fairly instantly when or, or instantly when it was dropped it, with a with a hydrogen bomb you could increase that by uh, about five times or ten times so like five miles maybe ten miles in a radius where people would just be instantly killed um just so everyone's aware especially when we're talking about proximity to the other people who lived on the marshall islands which is huge yeah it's very good points very uh, important distinction too so we're going to pause for a brief word from our sponsors and then we'll return with the story of the largest test the one that is the reason we're looking at an average of 1.5 hiroshimas every day for 12 years and the inevitable fallout. <laughs> and the inevitable fallout. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. 
Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We've returned not to 2021, but to March 1st, 1954, the debut of something called Codename Bravo, which is objectively a really cool name for a terrible thing. I, it's, I think it's a cool name. So the U.S. conducted the largest nuclear detonation that country has ever conducted, even now in the modern day, largest ever full stop on Uncle Sam's part. It was called Castle Bravo. This took place at the Bikini Atoll on March 1st. Uh, and Bravo was a 15 megaton hydrogen bomb. That is alone the equivalent of Hiroshima 1,000 times. Uh, this was only one of a series of thermonuclear tests, but it's, <laughs> it's the big one, and it wasn't supposed to be. This, we talked about, remember earlier in Open Skies, we talked about how many close calls the human species has had, especially with nuclear weapons. And we were talking specifically about breakdowns in communication or interpretation of what other countries are saying or signaling. In this case, we screwed it up entirely on our own. This was the uh, first device of its kind. We had the calculations. We thought our math was solid, but we were so very wrong. And we, meaning the scientists conducting this test, Got, got the math so screwed up that when the bomb was detonated, it, its nuclear yield was more than double what they had planned for or expected as consequences. Woof. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. How, oh. how, how, do, you, how do you miscalculate that, that much? Uh, it's a new technology and, you know, they're, they're testing, right? That's what this thing is for. And they just didn't realize what it was going to do, how how big it was going to be, and and like you said, there were consequences. Been the the fallout did drift over into two inhabited areas there in the islands, and uh, around two hundred men and women and children were living in the places where that fallout kind of just spread right on top of, and you know it's one of those things. We've kind of been setting up this the whole episode, right, of the dangers here for the inhabitants of these islands, and it happened. One atoll, Rongelap, uh, the people there found themselves instantly heavily affected by the fallout, and their, of course, their ecosystem is affected too. And just just to clarify, these are initial uh, physical effects not like long-term stuff like we hear about with other you know like the uh the the big picture of radiation Mm -hmm. these are direct burns um you know on people's bodies uh and very quick onset of radiation diseases yeah exactly so when you're talking about widespread heavy contamination like this you think of it in terms of either two clocks or maybe it's better to think of it in terms of the hour hand and the minute hand. So the stuff that happens first, those consequences, the burns, the sickness, the radiation poisoning, that's the minute hand. And it's going tick, 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 and you're seeing the results. 
But the bill really comes due with what the what we would call the hour hand, which is the long tail effects of these things, which are very serious and can take decades to manifest. Uh, and that's a problem for the victims in these situations because then it makes it a little more difficult to prove that someone is suffering from a medical condition because of something that happened 20 years ago. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. A lot of room for unethical uh, defense lawyers to play ball on that field. So add to this, the military, the U.S. military, did evacuate these residents as well. About two days after the test is uh, yep. when they got around to it. And uh, the people of the Marshall Islands, the Marshallese, were not informed of the potential dangers. It was all very much, you know, glory to the greater good. We're making the world a better place. Uh, you're sacrificing, but they were under they were under the impression that the sacrifice they were making was moving for a little while. It was a very different sacrifice involved. Uh, a senator of the Marshall Islands named Jetan Anjane explained the effects of Castle Bravo in, in a powerful in a powerful and disturbing way. He says, five hours after the detonation of this device, it began to rain radioactive fallout at Ronglap. The atoll was covered with a fine white powder-like substance. And listen to this part. No one knew it was radioactive fallout. The children played in the snow. They ate it. How, how would you know? How would you know? Yeah. Oh, that is rough, man. Yeah. Uh, it, it just gets rougher. Uh, in, in 1957, the people of Rongalop came back, uh, but officials and scientists that were working for the AEC um, decided that radiation was still at play and, and still very much a problem. Well, yeah, as we said, I mean, that's not that's not enough time. Three years, as we said, this and we're going to talk about later, this stuff comes in 20 years later as cancer and birth defects and all of the terrible things. Yeah. So there's this uh, there's a later report that comes out in 2004 and it found between the years of 1946 and 1958, the the full amount of contamination that would have been generated there was in an excess uh, of 530 cancers. Yeah, so what that means is in that in that estimate, in that analysis, they said, okay, what are the average I incidents of cancer mm -hmm. in the population if all things are the same and this test never happened? Can we tell whether this radiation increased cancer? And the answer is yes, 530 times. Uh, yeah. People are just people are more and more likely to get cancer that we can trace back in 2004. And again, it's a little difficult as time passes. So that number is probably, it's probably lower. Uh, that estimate is probably lower than the actual number, I mean to say. And 2005, the National Cancer Institute said the risk of contracting cancer for people exposed to this fallout, like your chance of getting cancer after this, one out of three. That means that if the three of us on Stuff They Want You to Know Today were in the Marshall Islands at that time, one of us would get cancer. Uh, and those are terrible, terrible odds. Two or three decades after the testing ended, this is where the hour hand begins to tick. Multiple, like many, many adult citizens of the Marshall Islands 
developed cancerous thyroid nodules. An associated health risk increased as well. I mean, your community is shattered. You have to leave the home where, you know, generations before you lived. And that gives you stress. People have PTSD. That also coupled with uh, some other social factors like the importation of Western diet with the military leads to diabetes, obesity, things that do not help you if you are contracting cancer and living in an irradiated area. It's, um, it's rough because later the National Cancer Institute comes back in 2010 and they say, and we looked at all the cancer between 1948 and 1970. The Marshall Islands. And we, the Cancer Institute reports, found 1.6 of all cancers, at least during this time period in the Marshall Islands, are directly attributable to radiation from nuclear testing. What this means is that the U.S., and I won't say on purpose, but the U.S., through negligence, gave these innocent people cancer. There's no way around it. They would not have had cancer. If there had not been nuclear weapons exploding so often for so long. Uh, so, so we're saying 1.6% of all cancers that were developed on all of the islands. That's yes. what we're saying? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Because some places got hit, uh, hit much harder, right? The northern mm-hmm. atolls, in the same study found that in the northern atolls, 55% of all cancers are the result of this fallout, more than half. Dang. And that, that one was specifically just for the Castle Bravo test alone. The giant one. Right. Right. Wow. Um, and then, you know, moving on into the, the 70s, the U.S. does, you know, uh, agree that some that mistakes were made. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe the implication. They didn't directly say it, uh, but they did agree to, to clean up the mess as much as possible uh, to clean up the islands. Um, they took the crater from a previous bomb test on Runnet Island, uh, and uh, this was the Defense Nuclear Agency, by the way, and they built a dome to store nuclear waste. Um, and this is, you know, we, we see this in other sites uh, around the United States. Uh, for example, the Savannah River site in near Augusta, Georgia, where I grew up, um, is a, a legacy um, containment site for uh, spent nuclear weapons, uh, and they would store a lot of this material in uh, pits that they would dig and, and line and, and um, you know bury this stuff. And they realized over time that some of those liners leaked and leached all of that stuff into the soil. Uh, they had a similar response here. Uh, the Defense Nuclear Agency built this dome to store the nuclear waste, uh, and they built inside of it a 377-foot-wide concrete enclosure that holds more than 3.1 million cubic feet. So this is a pit that uh, is the equivalent of 35 Olympic-sized swimming pools filled entirely with uh, radioactive soil and debris um, that contained lethal doses of plutonium, all directly as, as a result of, of the U.S. activities here. And it gets worse. This isn't this isn't just the the nuclear trash from Marsh from the Marshall Islands test. The U.S. took stuff from Nevada and put it on a boat and brought it there and buried it again. Not in my backyard. They nimbied this. And this structure today is in danger of collapsing. 
It is deteriorating over time. And the big concern is that it could soon uh, reach even more of a crisis level due to the rising seas. It could, uh, you know, this was a problem with uh, Fukushima as well. When the ocean gets involved, uh, nuclear weapons are an unstoppable force, but so is the ocean for now. And and shout out, as our anonymous teacher pointed out, shout out to the excellent work of the L.A. Times reporting on this situation uh, because there there were – we'll look back at this in a second. But there's a solid case that the U.S. engaged in a series of cover-ups here. So a lot of the stuff that they were doing was classified at the time. And you could say, of course, it had to be because it was nuclear testing. But – they also found – it was the LA Times who found that the U.S. had taken 130 tons of irradiated soil from a Nevada testing site and dumped it there into the dome. And they had also conducted biological weapons tests. So it wasn't just nuclear. They were like, hey, well, we've got this testing thing. Let's, you know, let's take the anthrax around, around the block for a spin. Let's just – we don't want to hurt anybody. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, that's another thing that's generally a no-no, uh, exploding uh, eventually. It's not always, uh, you know, against international law to do that kind of thing, but it's never a good look when you're seen testing biological weapons. And the bill comes due. You know, nowadays it is, nowadays there are computer models uh, that have the, that are sophisticated enough to predict some of the stuff that you could or, in the past, only find out through actual physical testing. Uh, but still, there's there's not really an excuse for it because, again, people live there. And you can still see the dome today. Locals call it the tomb. It's been described as a nuclear coffin, burying the secrets of the U.S. as well. Uh, officials in the Marshall Islands lobbied the U.S. government multiple times for help. American officials initially declined to help with this cleanup. They said, get this, well, the dome is on Marshallese land and, you know, post-1979, you're a sovereign country. Uh, so therefore, it's the responsibility of your sovereign government. Hashtag not it. That yeah. land is your land. That <laughs> land's not my land. Just because we tested. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was perfect. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. That song sucks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leon, my God. No, it's true. That I mean, talk, oh, wow. Wow. Talk about like a little red hen type situation. You know, mm -hmm. remember that fable where all the other, it's like a reverse little red hen where all the other animals wanted to eat the bread that the little red hen spent all this time making. Uh, but at the end, she said, no, you can't have the bread because I made it. This is literally the other way around where it's like, you can't have the bread that we made that is going to kill you. Never mind. It's bad. It's a bad analogy. No, no, I think it's, it's good. I've, I've got a bad one too, or at the very least it's crass. Um, it's disturbingly similar to someone like two people hooking up and uh, someone saying, Hey, in addition to ruining my apartment, when we hooked up, uh, I, I, I think I am pregnant and then the other person saying, you will be a fantastic single mother, and I wish you the best of luck with your apartment. Uh, and in this case, obviously, the child is nuclear waste. That's yes. what happened. 
Ooh. Oh boy! Are we going to get in uh, trouble for that one? Do we need I don't to think cut so. that? No, okay. no, I, no. It's good. I don't. I, mean, I, I don't. I think it's. It's. It's better than mine. Uh, Ooh, I think no, it, no. It, it, it paints a good. It paints a disturbing picture, Ben. You're absolutely right. The child is nuclear waste, and yeah, it's like we're not going to give you anything. We're not going to help you. In fact, they, they they went even further. The folks that were left to clean up our mess weren't even helped in the in the most basic ways, which you'd think they would at least provide them some kind of protective equipment, you know, hazmat suits or what have you, rad, rad suits if you're a Fallout fan. Uh, but no, not not even that. So there is there is an argument to be made where you could say, well, maybe this was just um, a matter of not knowing the full extent or the, the, the full potential danger of this kind of exposure. Because again, this was is early in the days of nuclear testing. But how much water does that hold? How much nuclear waste fits in that rationalization dome? I would say not a ton, especially when we consider that the journalists at the Times dove deep into this. They interviewed every Marshallese U.S. official who had talked to them about this. They went through thousands and thousands and thousands of declassified documents, and they found that the U.S. did know some key pieces of information here, and they purposely withheld it from the government of the Marshall Islands. So they didn't tell them about the weapon testing program. They didn't tell them about the, uh, the stuff that was actually inside this dome. Uh, and the reason they didn't tell them, the reason they covered it up, is because they were pushing to sign a deal in 1986 that would release the U.S. government from any further liability regarding these, uh, these tests. And this... This deal is important. It's still ongoing. But under this deal, they were supposed to pay settlements, right, pay fines, and also help the the population of the country while also cleaning up and paying for that cleanup, right? So there's another study that was published by Columbia University scientists, and they found that levels of radiation in certain parts of the Marshall Islands, even today, rival the radiation levels found at Chernobyl and Fukushima. I would also argue that the uh, the siloing and withholding of information rivals Chernobyl. Yeah, information control. Sometimes it's a necessary thing, but it's always it's always just so gross. And it's usually not necessary. It's a really tough thing when we've got a story like this that is based on, you know, historical misdeeds or wrongdoing like outright wrongdoing by some country and then you can clearly trace the effects and the problems to present day and the future where it's such a long lasting issue it's it isn't very often that we we hit on one of those topics and this is certainly one and it's uh i'm i'm just so grateful to our listener who put us onto this and my goodness Maybe we can find a way to help in some way. I don't know how, but I don't know what we do. We don't have the resources. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't have much experience cleaning up nuclear waste, which I've always thought is a is a um, a weak point of our podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would agree with you there, Ben. <laughs> yeah, but we uh, we do know that there is an official holiday coming up, the Remembrance Day on March second every year, which honors the victims and the survivors of nuclear testing. Yeah, let's throw a holiday at it. That'll be right. fine. That'll right. Be the job. Well, 
it raises visibility at least you can say that i agree Um, i agree now if you if you are a resident of the u.s and you want to see further u.s action in this area uh you can always write to your local representatives uh your individual results may vary in that regard unfortunately uh but the facts the facts are the same uh, areas of the Marshall Islands have radiation levels that are almost double of what is safe for human human habitation. Overall, as time passes, the islands are slowly becoming less radioactive, as long as that dome doesn't crack, right? Um, but we, if you ask somebody, when will the Marshall Islands be free of radiation? When can people return to Bikini Atoll? The answer is really, I don't know. No one, no one is sure. Uh, the capital city we mentioned is overcrowded due to rising sea levels and uh, dozens of other things. Uh, it's becoming increasingly polluted. There are cleanup efforts that continue as we're recording the show today, and uh, the Marshallese government continues to, uh, rightly I would say, advocate for compensation. Why is this important now? Why are the events of more than half a century ago still relevant today? Well, aside from the radiation, that 1986 deal comes up for renegotiation in 2023. So there is a goal or milestone to push your representatives for if you think the U.S. should be doing more in regards to this. And again, look, we're just being honest here. We're not doing a hit piece on the United States. These are just facts. This was a real conspiracy. Where do these territories fall in terms of, uh, you know, legislative representation? It's a good question. So, again, since 1979, the Republic of the Marshall Islands has been a sovereign country. However, due to the nature of the relationship between the U.S. and the Marshall Islands, if you're from the Marshall Islands, you can travel to the U.S. very easily. In theory, or legally, it's very easy. And the same if you are a U.S. citizen who decides to go to the Marshall Islands. So it's kind of in a gray area then almost, right? Well, it's part of it is the that uh, thing we mentioned at the top, the fact that it's what's called an associated state. So they have kind of a, a special unilateral deal. So we can do what we will with them, but don't really give them any protection or representation? Yeah, it's similar to, I I mean, it's not the same thing as a territory. Like Puerto Rico right now is a territory, meaning that it does not have the representation in the government that a state would have, right? And and the Marshall Islands doesn't have that either. They do have embassies and, um, and of course, a, a big U.S. military presence, but it's still kind of, it's still kind of World War II era United States keeping that Pacific foothold, you know, for the next war. And I'm sorry to, 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 to harp on this, but I mean, what, so doesn't that make our actions almost like a form of like occupation? Like to, to go in there and tell people to leave and just do these tests? Like what's the legal framework that, that makes that not a complete like act of war? Or, you know, I, I, I mean, maybe that's overstating the case a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm confused uh, in terms of uh, diplomacy, how we can justify what we did, even if it didn't cause all the problems that it caused. Well, the art of diplomacy is the art of finding a way to justify anything you please, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it's a big business. But uh, at the time these tests occurred, remember, uh, 
the Marshall Islands were not yet a sovereign country. That's right. Got it. Got so it. the timeline, I mean, it, it gets a little fuzzy. There's a lot, a lot of moving parts in this one, but mm-hmm. that fascinating and heartbreaking story. Yeah. And this is where we're at. So there's a tribunal that is established, that was established in 1988, two years after that 86 agreement has meant to keep an eye on the payments and the compensation the U.S. is supposed to offer. They concluded that the U.S. needs to pay $2.3 billion in claims. Congress and the U.S. courts have refused. Uh, and documents show the U.S. has paid a grand total of mission control. Can we get a drum roll? $4 million. Woof. But you guys, it's okay. It's all, it's all okay. None of that matters because in 2020, the United States government concluded that all of this stuff, that leaking nuclear waste from the tombs, a.k.a. the dome, all that stuff is safe. You don't even have to worry about it anymore. Oh. Because, yeah. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Oof. Thanks, Uncle Sam. I feel great now. You know what? Anyone, anyone out there listening, I hope one of you is like an associate producer at John Oliver's show. I need you to get John Oliver to do an episode on this, because if we do want to do something good for this, to raise some awareness or to start some surreptitious uh, campaign to raise money without people realizing they're raising money for the Marshallese people, uh, he could do it. (laughs) No one uh, can shame the U S government into action like John Oliver. Yeah. Yeah. Big fans here, John, if you're listening, uh, and it always, I don't know, you guys, it, it always makes my day when we, uh, over the time we've been doing this show where we we end up doing an episode and then later the rest of the world decides that it, we're not crazy and it did matter. Like, uh, it doesn't happen all the time. It's a beautiful moment. Give us that beautiful moment, John, if you if you feel so inclined and and help these help the folks in the Marshall Islands out. Uh, you're right, Matt, that official report did conclude that the nuclear dome is not in danger of imminent collapse. But we have to remember island nations are fighting rising sea levels. And within our lifetimes, it is quite possible that we may see a country like the Maldives uh, become entirely underwater and have to relocate the entire concept of its country to a, another safer landmass. Well, and not not to, you know, uh, have two rose-colored glasses about it, but at least we are uh, transitioning into an administration that acknowledges the science of climate change and rising sea levels and things like that, at least. Maybe. But still denies that the nuclear waste... No, I'm just joking. I don't <laughs> know what the administration thinks about the dome. <laughs> well, okay, Here's the thing, and this is going to make me sound very cynical and maybe a little bit too real politic. The a change in administration or a change in domestic business can make an enormous difference. So if you hate, you know, we always say in the U.S., if you hate what's happening during one term, just wait four years, you know, and it'll it'll change often in a way that reverses other stuff. But we have to understand outside of the bubble of the United States, the faces change, but a lot of the interventionist policies remain the same. It's not as if these 
international initiatives that have been in play for decades, and yes, including conflicts and wars and disputed territories. It's not as if they all of a sudden get a uh, get a ping on their on their beeper. I don't know why I, I picture whomever is here having a beeper. They get a beeper ping, and it says like uh, "new president three 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 or whatever, and they say, "Oh, okay, stop." We'll stop now. We'll stop making so much money. And then the nuclear waste says, oh, we'll stop degrading right now. <laughs> right. We're done. Right, right. Um, but yeah, hopefully hopefully uh, the world can cooperate on this. Uh, one other thing that came out of this, by the way, is that uh, the Marshall Islands are on the forefront of pushing against uh, – pushing for nuclear disarmament. Uh, they say, you know, we don't want anything like this to happen to anyone. And that's where we leave it today. We, we also have to, we have to ask you some questions, folks. What should the U.S. government do? What should the international community do in this regard? Is the U.S. really doing all it, all it can? Are these good faith efforts now, decades later? Uh, if you have visited the Marshall Islands or if you live there now, uh, we'd also love to hear your perspective. What is life like there? Um, is, are the effects of this still... Uh, readily apparent in your neck of the global woods. Let us know. We try to be easy to find online. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook where we are Conspiracy Stuff on Instagram. We are uh, Conspiracy Stuff Show. Uh, If you want to check out one of the coolest Facebook groups, check out Here's Where It Gets Crazy. Or is it a page? Whatever it is. It's called Here's Where It Gets Crazy and it's on Facebook and you can find a lot of your conspiracy realists there and you can have cool conversations with some of the best mods in the business running the show. I think it's a group for sure. Okay, it's a group. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You can give us a call. We've got a hotline, toll free, like the old days. Remember that? one eight three three stdwitk As Matt mentioned on our last episode, we have been getting a flurry of fabulous voicemails uh, from you. Yes, you. So if you would, please limit it to one three-minute message. Let us know what to call you. Uh, make sure you let us know if it's okay to use your voice, because we prefer to do that if possible. Or if you'd like to be anonymous, let us know that too. And, and uh, you might hear yourself a one of our weekly listener mail episodes. You can also leave us a review on your pod scraper of choice. It does make a difference. We are, as ever, grateful for your input. This show does not occur without you. You can pop over to youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff uh, to see our weird, weird library of uh, conspiracies that you may have thought of in the past and ones that I can with certitude guarantee that you have not heard of. If you don't care for social media, if uh, phones are not quite your thing, uh, there is one other way you can always contact us, regardless of time, space, uh, (laughs) regardless of topic as well. Uh, Send us an email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. 